Today, however, I'm really honored to introduce an old friend, you might say. Dr. John McCardle and his lovely wife, Bonnie, were members of my, my church in, in Beaufort, South Carolina. He, John is now, Dr. McCardle is now serving as president of the University of South uh, Swanee, Tennessee. Uh, his, a, a brief sketch of his bio is included in our Lenten uh, preaching leaflet. Suffice it to say now, John McCardle is the epitome of the description, gentleman and a scholar. And I also would add that he is a Christian to the very core of his being. It's a real honor to have you here. Dr. McCardle will preach to us after we sing stanza one and three of hymn number 657. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is a great, great pleasure to be with you here in Birmingham today uh, to speak from this pulpit, to be reunited with an old friend, and to see so many friends of the McCardles and of the University of the South here. Uh, it is a pleasure and an honor to be with you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. From John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 9 through 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Imagine, if you can, being one of the twelve and hearing those words. Not a request, not a suggestion, not a hope, but a command. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus doesn't say more or less as I have loved you, or occasionally as I have loved you, or as much as you can as I have loved you. No. There's no ambiguity here. It is a command. It is an unqualified command. And as the disciples may well have thought, an impossible command. How can any of us, they must have wondered, how can any of us even approximate the love you have shown us? Indeed, one ruminates, had Elvis Presley been around in those days, they might have recalled the words of one of Elvis's hits, I guess I'll never know the reason why you love me like you do. That's the wonder, the wonder of you. And then Jesus ratchets it up still further. For the very next line in the scripture adds, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do 
what I command. Now this is indeed, isn't it? Love divine, all loves excelling. Perfect love, all human thought transcending. Love so amazing, so divine. The descriptive references are endless. How could the twelve, how can we ever hope to obey this command given by one who loved us perfectly? We begin by acknowledging our own human limitations, our own human imperfection, our own innate sinfulness, and thus our inability to rely on ourselves to love others as Christ has loved us. It just can't be done. Or can it? Let's think it out again. I've spent my entire career in higher education. I've taught or tried to teach history to hundreds, probably even thousands of students. Like any professor, I take pride in their accomplishments, follow the progress of their lives and careers with deep and genuine interest, and I like to think I love them all, or most of them, anyway. But they didn't all make A's. So have I somehow fallen short of the command? Or to cite another example, told me by my friend Tom McPhee, who is the chaplain at Sewanee. This story involves an undergraduate who is part of a group visiting France. One evening after dinner, the faculty member leading the tour made it quite clear that everyone needed to be ready outside the hotel to board the bus at 8.15 sharp. Not 8.16, not 8.17, 8.15. The bus would leave at 8.15 on the button. Well, the next morning at 8.15 on the nose, The bus closes its doors and pulls away. One student is missing. A few minutes later, she comes running up, out of breath, desperately looking for the bus, which has already departed. She is clearly agitated, overwrought. Someone approaches her to ask, what is the matter? Summoning the best French that she can, she replies, Je suis gauche derrière. Some good many French students here. This makes no idiomatic sense, does it? Although the words all translate into English equivalents clearly, I am left as opposed to right. Behind, as in rear end. (laughs) Wrong, all wrong. I can't imagine her professor felt a great sense of accomplishment when he learned of her uttering these words. But I also can't imagine he loved her any less. I suspect there are many in this audience who are parents. We've all had similar moments with our children They disappoint us, they fall short of our expectations, but we love them still, unconditionally, unequivocally. So maybe, just maybe, there's a different way to think about this command 
to love one another as Jesus loved us. The great Southern novelist William Faulkner spoke a profound truth in a 1954 essay entitled Mississippi. Perhaps you know it. The essay concludes with the death of Caroline, an aged black woman over 100 years old, after a series of strokes. Caroline the servant, who had known slavery and lynchings and all manner of discrimination, and so much of what made life dangerous and circumscribed in those days, but who had also known and given and received kindness and care and love to black and white alike. Or, as Faulkner writes, she lay in the parlor in the fresh cap and apron she would not see, and the middle-aging did indeed lay back and preach the sermon, hoping that when his turn came, there would be someone to owe him the sermon owed to her by all who had been as he had been from infancy within the scope and range of that fidelity and that devotion and that rectitude. Loving all of it, even while he had to hate some of it, because he knows now that you don't love because, you love despite not for the virtues, but despite the faults. You don't love because, you love despite. Or, as Shakespeare puts it in Sonnet 116, love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. Love one another as I have loved you. Love not because, but despite. Not long after Jesus spoke these words, he was arrested. Peter, following along, warms himself by the fire. Three times he's asked if he knows this man, Jesus. Three times, each time more vehemently, he denies any knowledge at all. Then he remembers Jesus' words when the cock crows, you will deny me three times, and goes out and weeps bitterly. Yet after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, Jesus neither spurns nor upbraids Peter, doesn't say to him, what in the world were you thinking that night? For he knew. Instead, he takes Peter to another fire, and as they warm themselves together, looks not backward, but forward, and asks three times, Do you love me? Love slays what we have been, writes St. Augustine. Love slays what we have been that we might be what we are not. Do you love me, Peter? Love one another as I have loved you. Love despite. 
Loving despite is in so many ways a challenging task, and yet it's the way God loves us. Much as I wish it were otherwise, I find myself unpersuaded every time I hear someone say, we're all children of God. Well, maybe, but I'm not so sure. I'm more inclined to wish or to hope that I were a child of God. But I know that in fact, and deep down, I'm really a child of Adam. O.S. Positive, as Dean Limehouse so delicately puts it. I might be tempted when I see Debbie Boone on a cable news ad. Remember, this was just constant during the election season last fall. If I saw it once, I saw it 50 times. Debbie Boone urging me to purchase a product called Lifestyle Lift. If I do, so I'm told, I can look as good as I feel, I can boost my confidence, I can transform my life. I might be able to cover up some wrinkles or hide some blemishes, but I can't erase them. No, we all, I think, need something more than a lifestyle lift, something more than a cover-up of our blemished hearts. The good news, of course, is that there is a way, and the gospel makes that way crystal clear. To all who did receive him, writes St. John, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now there's a real lifestyle lift. What grace, what mercy, so immense and so free, mercy and grace. Mercy is often defined as not getting what you deserve, while grace is getting what you do not, what you do not deserve. And in our heart of hearts, we know what we deserve and what we do not deserve. None of us deserves to be called a child of God, and it's futile to think that it can be earned on our own merits. God looks into our hearts, sees what's there, and sends us, every one of us, a Savior whose gift of salvation is indeed immense and free. Now, Dean Limehouse, I know, is fond of quoting the 19th century evangelist Charles Spurgeon. Now, no man can ever know a Savior, says Spurgeon, without first knowing himself a sinner. Even as no man can value a physician while he is ignorant of the existence and evil of disease. Even so. Or as St. Paul writes to the Galatians, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Or to the Ephesians, 
In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Adoption. Now, in Roman law, adoption was a serious matter. Once adopted, a child became and was treated as a full member of a family. Moreover, adoption in Roman law included an extinction of all debts. At the same time, adoption was unknown to Jews. The word never appears in the Old Testament. The scholar Leon Morris writes, Adoption is a useful word for Paul, for it signifies being granted the full rights and privileges of belonging to a family in which one does not belong by nature. In other words, one can become a Christian. But one is not born a Christian. One becomes a Christian, as John's Gospel puts it, by being born again or born from above. A concept the learned Jewish scholar Nicodemus when this is explained to him by Jesus, simply can't comprehend. With this term, adoption, we learn more about God's love for us and the love Jesus commands us to show others. We also discover the unmerited grace that that love provides. By adoption, we become part of a family to which admission is not restricted or determined by birthright or social status. No, this adoption is a release, a release from bondage to sin and death. The spirit you received, Paul writes to the Romans, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. Not your liberty, not your freedom, but your adoption. Your adoption to sonship. We could not meet God under God's law, says Spurgeon. We looked up to Sinai's fiery summit where the Lord revealed himself, and we felt that its crags were too steep for our tottering feet to climb. The law enslaved us to sin because we would always, always fall short of that law. And the wages of sin is death. But in Christ, and through Christ's death and resurrection, His greater love, his love for us despite, we can become children of God by adoption. In recent years, the chaplain's office at Sewanee has published each Lent a booklet of daily scriptural meditations, many of them composed by our students. One student herself adopted, happened to draw the passage from Romans, that passage just read about God's adopting us to sonship through his own son. 
Listen to her formulation. God has adopted us, she writes, from the orphanage of sin. What a profoundly simple and beautiful image. God has adopted us from the orphanage of sin. She goes on to speak more personally. I share with my parents all of the love and all of the dysfunction found in most families. But the one difference throughout my life has been an acute awareness that I was wanted. God wants us, each of us, all of us, and sent his Son to redeem and to save us. This, this is the good news. This adoption and the inestimable love from which it springs is a love that will not let us go. It is a wondrous love that loves us despite. A wondrous love, as the old Southern Companion hymn proclaims, that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. A love despite, a wondrous love despite. And so let us heed our Savior's command, and not just in this Lenten season, but beyond, to love others as he has loved us, loving not because, but loving despite, and loving him in thanks for his wondrous, inestimable love for us, that divine, all-loves-excelling love. Elvis's words are deeply theological when sung in this context. I guess I'll never know the reason why you love me like you do. That's the wonder, the wonder of you. Or finally, the words of the great hymn by Charles Wesley, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh, my God, it found out me. Amen.